This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2013 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Now streaming only on Hulu. We now uh, have our eyes on a very special place. You know what that place is? New Hampshire. Chaos follows him. We can't have a country in disarray and a world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it. The Republican presidential field is shrinking. But the former president, Donald Trump, and former South Carolina governor, Nikki Haley, are still at it in New Hampshire. But after over $150 million and a promise to bring down Donald Trump from the right, Ron DeSantis is out. He suspended his campaign this weekend and backed the man, Donald Trump, who spent the last year insulting him. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. Oh, and by the way, you know who's not on the ballot tomorrow? You know, it's kind of funny. All these Republican candidates in the primary are trying to beat Donald Trump. I'm still the only person to ever beat Donald Trump, and I'm looking forward to it again. The New Hampshire Democratic primary is tomorrow, but since the party wanted to make South Carolina first, Joe Biden isn't appearing on the ballot in New Hampshire. A lot of Dems, though, might write him in, but also a lot of Dems and maybe a lot of independents could also go and vote for Nikki Haley. I'm Todd Zwillick, in for Jen White, and you're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot of election news to get into after a break. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get right into the New Hampshire primaries and what this race says about the state of the Trump-led Republican Party with our guests. Danielle Kurtzleben is an NPR political correspondent who's just returned from New Hampshire. Danielle, welcome back to 1A. Hey, thanks a lot. Great to have you. Also in the studio in Washington here is Republican political strategist and commentator Rena Shaw. Rena, great to have you. Hi, nice to be here. Um, Danielle, as I mentioned, Ron DeSantis, he's out in really... One of the most spectacular campaign implosions in recent memory. People are canceling televised debates left and right. You just got back from New Hampshire. This is usually like their Olympics every four years, like a huge deal for them. What's the vibe right now in New Hampshire? Uh, well, the vibe when I was there was, first of all, very snowy. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. and, and while I was there, that did mean that Ron DeSantis was 
canceling events while he was there. And he had really not campaigned much in the state, as opposed to Iowa, where he had gone all in. So, yes, there was little Ron DeSantis action there, and the snow made it even less. So he he was already hampered. The An act of God hampered him even more. But besides that, the feeling in New Hampshire is, you know, very much Trump-heavy. Trump is holding events there when he is able to get up there uh, because of his legal woes. For example, the opening of the E. Jean Carroll defamation trial last week. Yes. There's definitely that. But also... Nikki Haley is holding her events. They are packed events. They are not as big as a Trump rally, but they are packed events. And the people who love Nikki Haley really do. And it is very much, you know, it it is easy, of course, to find Republicans who support Nikki Haley there. But this is a state that allows independents to vote in a Republican primary. It is very easy to find independents who say, I really like Nikki Haley. I really do not like Donald Trump at all. And even people who will tell me, I'm, I would be picking between Haley and Biden. Those are the two mm. people I would vote for this time around. We're going to talk more about that dynamic in New Hampshire and just in New Hampshire, really, why it's so unique and what it might mean for Nikki Haley's chances tomorrow. Uh, but first, Ron DeSantis debated. Remember this? California governor, Democratic governor Gavin Newsom on Fox News back on December 1st, early December. People remember that TV event. Amid all the insults and punchlines in front of Fox's Sean Hannity, though. Gavin Newsom had this prediction about Ron DeSantis. If at the DNC convention they come Joe and ask Biden, you, will you run, what will you say? Joe Biden will be our nominee in a matter of weeks. And in a matter of weeks, Sean, he'll be endorsing Donald Trump as a nominee for the Republican Party. Uh, Rena, say what you want about Gavin Newsom. He kind of nailed that one. He called it out completely. I think this was one of those moments in which you have to say, are people's predictions about who Republicans are in the era of Donald Trump, which is still here. He's left the White House, though it is felt he's never left. And I think that's where a lot of the establishment Republican types I see going to endorse Trump now are operating from. They don't want to get it wrong like they did in 2016. They felt that, uh, you know, they they missed something there. And this time you see them coming out ahead of the pack. I, I, I've just noticed over the past, you know, weekend, obviously, we saw a huge endorsement from Senator Tim Scott, which I, I submit to doesn't mean very much. Um, but of course, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida didn't endorse DeSantis when for Trump. Um, Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio, these are youngish members, and they are saying we need to coalesce around Trump after Iowa. And it makes you feel, well, what it, what is it here that, they, that they're that they on to? And I just say they're trying to save themselves. They don't want to draw the ire of Trump, Trump supporters. And again, they don't want to miss the mark like they feel they did in 2016. A lot of Republicans, uh, never Trump Republicans, independent, moderate Republicans, I should say, to the extent that they still exist out there, were upset with Tim Scott for that endorsement of Nikki Haley, only because it took away the ability, they said, for there to be a real Republican objection to Trump. You want to endorse Trump? Fine. Do it later. Not right before New Hampshire, where if there is any independent or moderate or never Trump pushback in the party, you can have it out. The Tim Scott doing that at that point was not healthy for the party, they said. I, 
I think it was more than that. I, I, I Sorry, excuse me. I feel like it was less than that. It wasn't any more than that. Uh, it was the fact that he has some personal animus with her. Uh, he bit the hand that fed him. Nikki Haley made him a senator. She appointed him, uh, what, 11 years ago now? So I, I think it was uh, one of those moments in which you have to look at it for what it was. The two of them have a lot of bad blood. Uh, Tim Scott, uh, ever the evangelical, talking about his faith on the campaign, so much so that I felt like I was looking at Mike Pence oftentimes uh, when I saw Tim Scott in a debate stage. His his campaign lacked everything, I felt, connectivity and charisma. And look, the only exciting point is when he debuted his now fiance on a debut <laughs> stage, on a debate stage. So it was, it was an interesting moment in which, uh, again, I'm not putting too much stock in a Tim Scott endorsement. I sure. think there wasn't much there that talks about um, really what it means to have these almighty powerful members of Congress come and, and put their weight behind somebody. I'm not sure it means as much anymore. Um, Danielle, you started to talk about independence in New Hampshire and an open primary where anyone can pull a Republican ballot. What's your take on Nikki Haley in New Hampshire and the race right now, given this special sort of circumstance where people can come out and pull a GOP ballot and make their voice heard? Yeah, I mean, Nick, if there is a state where Nikki Haley is going to do well, uh, it is New Hampshire, possibly also South Carolina, of course, because that's her home state. But even then, Nikki Haley is still pulling well behind Trump in both states. She just happened to have happens to have a smaller margin in New Hampshire than she or Ron DeSantis did in, say, Iowa. But the thing that I would also add is that in terms of Ron DeSantis dropping out of this race and helping Nikki Haley. I mean, first of all, in New Hampshire, that just that wouldn't happen because in New Hampshire, Ron DeSantis didn't have much uh, much support to begin with. But also, I want to back up and mention in terms of uh, people flocking toward the party supporting Trump, these quote unquote never Trump voters who they pick. When I have talked to DeSantis voters, by the way, they overwhelmingly told me that they did not, they would not consider Nikki Haley. They consider DeSantis a version of Trump, a a Trump that could perhaps have less, quote unquote, baggage, who has fewer enemies, and therefore he could get more stuff done as president. So in other words, Ron DeSantis is like Trump 2.0, perhaps, uh, someone who could get Trumpist policies passed. But I mean, really, it makes a certain amount of sense then why voters rejected him and went with Trump himself, because it, it, why not just go with the original? Right. And that's just what, they, what they're doing. Why do you need the facsimile when you've got the real thing? Yeah. Um, we're going to take a break in just one moment. Um, Rena, what does Nikki Haley need to do to come out of New Hampshire with a credible case for continuing this race? I actually don't think she needs to win. I think she needs to make a serious dent, obviously, uh, but I don't think she needs to win. The name of this game is a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, this is about longevity, this this primary, which makes it so different than any other modern GOP primary. Um, I, I get it. It's an unpopular opinion. Why, why shouldn't she drop out? But the delicate math is such that we are looking at somebody who needs to, to get 1,215 delegates exactly to win the nomination on the Republican side. She can get to March and feel the pulse of the Republican electorate on Super Tuesday. There are a lot of delegates up for stake then, uh, up for grabs then. What's at stake here, though, is how she really conducts herself and what kind of popularity she's able to gain with newer audiences between now and the South Carolina worth primary. Her, worth her hanging in to see if Donald Trump winds up a convicted felon? Oh, of course. That's the complicating factor in all of this. We're going to talk a lot more about that dynamic and how 
the potential for the GOP nominee, if that's Donald Trump, to be a convicted felon on Election Day might affect his chances. The polls suggest they might affect them deeply, but is a voter saying they wouldn't vote for Trump and a voter actually not voting for Trump the same thing? Stay tuned. We're going to talk more about it. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Dems, why Joe Biden isn't on the ballot tomorrow, but he might get some votes anyway. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from Capital One. Offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the United States Postal Service. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping services? Then give your business a competitive edge with USPS Ground Advantage. Keep things simple with upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. Turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Let's get back to our conversation now with a few messages we got from you. Mark in New Hampshire emails to say, Republicans would be smart to go back to the party of yesteryear referring to Ron DeSantis's comments there. Sorry, no one is talking about that. Pathetic DeSantis kissed the ring of Donald J. Trump. And Amber emailed to say, I'm a registered independent voter in Massachusetts who will be voting for Nikki Haley in the primaries. I'll then be voting for Joe Biden in November. My family in Oklahoma is also changing their voter registration so they can vote for her. After the March 5th primary, they are switching back to Democrat. That's interesting. You wonder how many equations like Amber's family might be out there. Well, let's get back to New Hampshire and talk the Dems for just a moment. You haven't heard that much about it, but the New Hampshire Democratic primary is also tomorrow, at least according to New Hampshire. The rest of the Dems, like Democratic National Committee and Joe Biden, say South Carolina is now first. Here's New Hampshire Democratic Party Chair Ray Buckley. He's responding to a social media post from the DNC chair, Jamie Harrison, who said he's excited to vote in the first primary in South Carolina on February 3rd. He has uh, local pride, allows him to say uh, certain things, just like uh, local pride uh, gives us the opportunity to say, uh, say uh, the reality that uh, New Hampshire is the first in the nation primary. Danielle, local pride we get. I think that we're familiar with the fight over New Hampshire's status as first in the nation primary. But what about tomorrow? New Hampshire says, no, no, our primary is still on. And that means Joe Biden won't be on the ballot. So what happens? Well, so the primary will, they will go through with this quote unquote primary, but I mean, I say quote unquote because there won't be delegates awarded from it. It's, it's really would be kind of a symbolic victory for whoever does win it. And there is a push now 
to have a write-in Joe Biden uh, uh, campaign up in New Hampshire. But also he is on that ballot along with uh, Minnesota Representative Dean Phillips, who is mounting a primary challenge, Marianne Williamson, the author and speaker. And according to the AP, there are 21 candidates on this ballot. And so like... Including the guy with the boot on his head, Vermin Supreme. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, Perennial candidate, Vermin Supreme. So... (laughs) Yes, 21 candidates will be on that ballot. And look, whoever does, if someone does happen to get a fair number of votes, especially if that someone is already well, well-ish well known, like Dean Phillips or Marianne Williamson, you can bet you're going to hear more about it from them if they are able to say, for example, look, I got 20 percent, 30 percent, whatever of the vote in New Hampshire. I mean, they'll be able to say that and trumpet it, but really... Of course, Biden is the leader of the party right now, even if some Democrats don't like that. Can a registered Democrat pull a Republican ballot? Is it totally open or do you have to be an independent to do that in New Hampshire? You have to be an independent to to, uh, vote in either primary. So the the Dems can't go in mass and write in for Nikki Haley to try to boost her and then turn around and be Democrats. Right. But it is possible, of course, there are plenty of Democrats who may have uh, de- renounce their democratic status and just become independents ahead of this primary, and they may be uh, voting in either mm. primary. And New Hampshire people do do that. They take this primary business seriously. Look, the Democrats may have abandoned New Hampshire as the first in the nation primary, but they've got a long tradition of highly engaged and strategic voting, especially among independents. And I think that that is the thing at the bottom that Nikki Haley is counting on to see if this can defy the polls. We got this from Douglas in New Hampshire, who said, in an attempt to get our voices heard by the Democratic National Committee and by our president, there is a group advocating that we write in ceasefire in the open space where President Biden's name would have been. We might see a little bit of that too, Danielle. Oh, absolutely. And I've been out, uh, especially later last year, uh, talking to a lot of Democrats, young progressives, many of them are, who Uh, are very, very upset with Joe Biden over uh, his support for Israel post the attacks in Israel by Hamas last year. Now, to me, that yes, there is, of course, the question of who Joe Biden will face in November and how whatever persuadable voters there still are in America, how they swing, what people on the margins do. But Given the amount of anger at Joe Biden, especially by some of these progressives, I think one of his biggest challenges is also just going to be getting people out to vote for him because there are a lot of unenthusiastic Democrats who don't want Mm. Trump to be the president but also aren't super amped about Joe Biden being the president. It'll be a huge project of Democrats to try to get some amperage into that base um, for November. All right, let's get back to the Republicans in New Hampshire and beyond. Donald Trump isn't in New Hampshire today. He's expected back in court in New York for more of the penalty phase of his repeated defamation of writer E. Jean Carroll after a jury, I'll remind you, found that Trump sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll in 1996 and then defamed her. Trump might testify this week. He might not. Um, We're familiar with the story now, uh, Rena, 91 felony counts, civil claims including defamation, a jury verdict finding that he sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll. Um, Just last night, Trump said again that that E. Jean Jean Carroll's story of sexual assault was totally fabricated. Actually, Danielle, let me stick with you for just a moment because you've just been in New Hampshire. 
it's just making an impact in the state. There are people talking about the cases, talking about the felony charges, talking about the sexual assault. Is it a thing? Not a lot, really. And and if they are, it's more uh, on the non-Trump side of things. It's pe- people might bring it up more at uh, rallies for other candidates. And I was in Iowa, and I would also hear about it more at rallies for other candidates. You know, if you supported Ron DeSantis in Iowa, you might say, look, I like Trump, but I don't think he can be elected given his legal woes. In New Hampshire, similarly. Mm-hmm. And I was there at a Trump rally the day that the E. Jean Carroll case opened and Trump was late getting to the rally because he was flying back in from New York after the opening of that trial. And he just didn't bring it up at the rallies. He is not really bringing up uh, at least the E. Jean Carroll case in his rallies. He's, he will reference his legal problems and how the Justice Department is being weaponized against him, et cetera, et cetera, sort of what has become a standard Trump line. Mm. But you don't hear much about that in his speech. Now, his voters, when you're talking about his broader legal problems, not just E. Jean Carroll, but uh, his the case against him, for example, for January 6th, his voters, that this just makes them dig in even more because he they see him as embattled and that just makes them want to fight for him all the harder. So the cases, Rena, polls vary on this, but they suggest that 30, maybe 40 percent of self-described GOP voters say, they say, they wouldn't vote for Trump in the general election if he's a convicted felon. What do you make of that number? You think it's real? I actually do think it's real because, you know, you've got a situation that nobody is even familiar with. You talk to constitutional experts, they're not sure how to navigate. Uh, This is a former president who now private citizen, we must remind folks that he is rife with problems, whether they be civil or criminal. We're talking about three states in the District of Columbia that have put together these cases. And and this is where I hear a lot of skepticism from Republican voters, some even more moderate and center-right, that feel that this is a sort of a concerted effort against him, that how come it feels like there's an entire, and I don't want to say a deep state, but an apparatus that doesn't want Donald Trump uh, to be a private citizen anymore. They want him behind bars. And and you you hear that and you wonder, well, how much is that going to mobilize folks? Mm-hmm. I think uh, that sentiment is not um, enough. You get a lot of the fervent supporters of the former president really operating from a place of revenge and fear. Is there a difference between, like these polls, would you vote for Donald Trump if he's a convicted felon? Let's say it's a third of Republicans who say they wouldn't. Okay. Is there a difference between telling a pollster that over the phone or the internet or whatever you're doing and actually actualizing that in the voting booth when it comes down to a choice, let's say, if this happens between Donald Trump and Joe Biden and you're a Republican, right? You've told a pollster, pollster, I wouldn't vote for him if he's a convicted felon. How 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 much of that do you think is true on voting day? We are an emotional electorate. We tend to look at what is plaguing us the most that day. If it's the economy and you feel like Biden is fudging it, you're going to go in, in with that front of mind. It, it, some of conventional wisdom applies here. But on the other side, you also have to wonder how much is the drumbeat going to be so steady from the topmost leaders? So again, congressional Republicans, how angry are they going to get with this? And then at what point also do a number of these Republicans say enough and throw their hands up and say, I'm going to make a protest vote mm. because this third party stuff hasn't worked in recent times. So you've got to also wonder, are people angry enough to vote against Joe Biden? David in Cleveland on this very question, uh, Cleveland, Ohio emails to say, I believe 
that Donald Trump knows very well that his only chance to avoid imprisonment for several broken laws is to get reelected president. Thus, he won't drop out even if he's convicted and either in prison or waiting to be sentenced. I think that's about right. I think that Donald Trump's main motivation for this election is being able to cancel his cases one way or the other, either through pardoning himself or getting the DOJ to dismiss his cases. Um, Might not work in Georgia, but then again, it might. They may put his case in abeyance if he were president and not try to try a president for election interference and felony counts there. So it's a good point from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, Guys, we haven't heard a ton, a little bit, but we haven't heard a ton about abortion in this GOP primary. That's, I'm here to tell you that is definitely going to change. You're not hearing about a lot about it now, but Rena, Republicans succeeded in overturning Roe v. Wade. And ever since, abortion is undefeated in pretty much every election, state referenda, state elections for judges, special elections. Every time abortion has come up since Dobbs, since Roe was overturned, the idea of preserving abortion rights has won big. So how do you see that question shaping strategies for 2024? Yeah, abortion is very much on the ballot for uh, Republicans. And that is the scary part for a lot of the down-ballot races because how a lot of these topmost, again, folks who are running at the federal level uh, shape the narrative about it, how Republicans talk about abortion. And and, and I think, you know, I've, I've been here on NPR many times talking about how Nikki Haley has, has drawn attention and turned heads for the very fact of how she talked about abortion in those first three debates. She, the, the humanized versus demonized line played so well with suburban college-educated women uh, that they had to say, I can't look away from Nikki Haley. This is somebody, though she is a Republican of the party of Donald Trump, she is somebody that is talking about it in a way they, they have not heard in Nikki recent Nikki Haley times. says, I'm for a national abortion ban, but it's not realistic because you don't have 60 filibuster. It just makes it procedural. Like, yes, I'm for it, but let's get real. That's sort of her... Yeah. And she's given the most practical, reasonable answer, almost saying enough now, guys. Yeah. You got your way. You got the state's rights stuff. Uh, I, I'd like to remind our audience, we just had, we just saw the March for Life rally happen here in the, in, in DC. And, and these kinds of events have always been so big for Republicans, especially members of Congress. They turn out at these. It's, it's the centerpiece of their campaigns. And now it's no longer. So what do you talk about? Are you presenting solutions to Joe Biden's economic woes that he's causing? I'm not hearing that so much. So what I'm hearing and seeing from Republicans They just want to say, it's settled, it's done, let's be a little quiet about it. But Nikki Haley understands that if she talks about it in a gentle, kind, responsible way, she could draw some of those women that have left the Republican Party. She can draw them back in when she talks about kitchen table issues such as education, immigration, uh, the economy, crime, and public safety. Gentle, kind, and responsible is a way that Nikki Haley is trying to talk about abortion. It is not the way that Donald Trump talks about it, really, or really any other leading Republican for that matter. And Danielle, I wonder what your take is on this question. Given that since Roe was overturned, the abortion question, state bans, access to reproductive uh, services has basically been a political loser for Republicans. Right. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I... Republicans are clearly struggling with how to talk about abortion. And Donald Trump has even gotten at this, saying that he thinks uh, abortion is a losing issue. Ron DeSantis in Iowa tried to run against Trump on that, saying, no, look, I am more pure than you, essentially, on abortion. I am willing to go hard and go all in on a national ban. Uh, 
and and Ron DeSantis lost. And I, it is not hard to find Republican voters who feel a little iffy about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yes, there are plenty of white evangelicals, especially in Iowa, who are very excited that it happened. But also, and it is more likely in New Hampshire, it is also very easy to find some Republican voters who go, all right, I'm a little worried. I am a little worried hearing these stories about uh, women being forced to carry a non-viable uh, fetus to term, that sort of thing. And it, and in these states where there have been referenda, I have reported in them. And also, voter, it, it was not hard to find voters in Kansas, for example, in 2020, yeah. uh, uh, last year, who also said, yeah, I, I, I'm a Republican, but I can't vote for this. That is really not hard. And one thing I will add is you can very much bet all your money that the Democrats are going to go hard on this issue. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have an event planned this week about reproductive rights. They are going to try to paint Donald Trump or whoever the nominee is or Nikki Haley as very extreme on abortion. And make no mistake, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley both are very conservative on on abortion, regardless of of their rhetoric. Danielle, Democrats are hoping, trying to get an abortion question statewide, like on the ballot in Arizona in 2024. And the the idea there is you go into the ballot booth, you might be moderate or independent, but the abortion ban question is is right in front of you, right? I mean, that's an old Karl Rove strategy, but they're trying for that. Yeah. And I would add, if you're progressive and you don't really like Joe Biden, you still might really, really, really care about reproductive rights. That's a lot of people who come out for these uh, votes as well. And look, we've seen big turnout for these in the past. That I mean, that is a totally logical strategy for Democrats. We're hearing from lots and lots of you on the question of the New Hampshire primary, independence, Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. Um, Katie in New Hampshire says, I'm an undeclared and undecided New Hampshire voter trying to decide what to do tomorrow. Just like you described at the beginning of the hour, I like Nikki Haley and I want to take a stand against everything that Donald Trump stands for. I've been undeclared since I first registered to vote, but I have always voted in the Democratic primary. This is the first year I have seriously considered voting Republican for that very reason. However, I heard people can challenge undeclared voters if they select a primary ballot and I and don't support the party. So that might be holding Katie back a little bit. Adam emailed to say, as a New Hampshire independent that voted Biden, I will again if it comes down to him or Trump. I am going for Haley in the primaries. If she wants to play these local games, let's see if I can help get Haley over the line and we can have an interesting race between two relative moderates instead of Donald Trump. I'm okay with woke. I understand it. It makes sense. In some cases, when with everything today has become toxic and the woke narrative isn't cringe to me, it just has to stop in politics. That's according to Adam, and we thank you for these thoughts. We have a lot more to talk about in New Hampshire, yes, but also the state of the GOP when it comes to abortion, as we just described, but also race. Stay tuned after the break. We're going to talk about Nikki Haley and the question of America's heritage of racism. That and a lot more right after this. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the United States Postal Service. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping services? Then give your business a competitive edge with USPS Ground Advantage. Keep things simple with upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. 
and keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. Turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Let's get right back into the conversation now. Rena, I promised before the break that we would talk a little bit about Nikki Haley and her comments on race and how it's complicated this primary, but also what it says about the GOP. She's made headlines for doubling down on her comments that America has never been a racist country. She first made the comments on Fox and Friends last week, and then she was asked about it at a CNN town hall on Thursday. But I refuse to believe that the premise of when they formed our country was based on the fact that it was a racist country to start with. I refuse to believe that. I truly believe our founding fathers had the best of intentions when they started, and we fixed it along the way. This is a more practiced response than when she was asked what the cause of the Civil War was, and she just couldn't bring herself to say what it was, which is slavery. Arena, what does this say to you? Not so much about Nikki Haley, but about the state of the GOP and the base that this experienced, talented politician thinks she has to speak about race in this way. Yeah, she believes that if slavery had rolled off her tongue, then that would be admitting that America is not great for some reason. I think her the way she has handled this, and, and I have not advised her ever, uh, nor have I endorsed her, I, I, I am very critical of, because I just recently we heard her say she is a brown girl from a rural state. I myself am a brown girl from a rural state who is also the daughter of uh, Indian immigrants. And I, I, I must say she has handled this poorly. It, to, it's not admitting defeat. It's not admitting that this country isn't a wonderful place for people of color. Uh, But to equate her brown experience with a black experience is something I would have never done. Trump is now still attacking her given name, othering her that she's not qualified to be president, birtherism. It's just there. It's shameful because it's drawing questions about her eligibility. And she's born in these United States. But just because she's born to people who weren't doesn't make her ineligible. And he knows that when he confuses people like this, he gets people riled up, that there is a there there when there really isn't. And that's the that's the challenge she's going to face in these next month, in this next month, mm-hmm. as she comes up against Trump and his narrative. that And he never has to answer the same questions, by the way. And the, the bigger challenge is that it's not hurting him. It's helping him when he does that. He is by far the front run, runner. All right, we got to go. Danielle, before we go, um, what does Nikki Haley have to do tomorrow to pull an upset and change the narrative from inevitable Trump? What has to happen tomorrow for her? Uh, I mean, this is my non-expert uh, opinion in terms of, like, predicting the future, but I would guess she would have to get within single digits of Donald Trump. I mean, she's got to really, really rally the non-Trump voters, really make the case to them that he is dangerous, which is the case that uh, she's saying he's chaotic. I think she might just have to go harder if that's what she wants to do. But she, um, it's a long shot maybe, but that that's... She's got a tall order ahead of her is really what I'm saying. All right. My thanks to Danielle Kurtzleben. You hear her there, NPR political correspondent who has been to Ohio and New Hampshire and beyond covering this GOP primary. Continue to follow her. Also, Rena Shaw, Republican political commentator and strategist. Appreciate your insights. Thanks very much to you both. Today's show was produced by Anna Casey and edited by Matthew Simonson. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington. It's distributed by NPR. I'm Todd Zwillick. We'll talk to you soon. This is 1A.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from the United States Postal Service. Turn shipping to your advantage with USPS Ground Advantage Service. Learn how to gain a competitive edge at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.